0: Take about 20-25 minutes for question and answers. Anything about the talks or instructions that come to mind, or just generally about your practice that you'd like to bring up. If you do, please speak loudly so everyone can hear you. I'm
1: starting to use more of those questions that I don't necessarily been looking for an answer for, just to enlighten the mind, like. I've been using quite a bit, what does the heart and mind want to know? Uh, um, and some other questions like that. And I'm wondering, like, to do that, like, repeated several times during the sit, uh, kind of how to, you know, how
0: to work it in during the sit. Yeah, well, what I find is that uh, You know, every technique has its advantages and disadvantages, and it's hard to do any particular strategy without involving greed and aversion, especially initially. So if you take up questioning as a strategy to enliven the mind, as you say, then it's like don't expect it to be perfect, but it may be better than not doing it. Because a lot of times what we end up doing is we try it, but it's not perfect, meaning We see some attachment, some greed involved in the questioning, or it's done with aversion, and we see that. And then we want to throw it away. But the question isn't uh, whether there's greed or not, or aversion or not. The question is, is it better doing this than not doing this? Is the practice more alive? Is the mind seeing more, understanding more with this than not doing this? And then also, a lot of whatever the skillful means we use in practice, uh, related to what I just said, we learn over time like how to use it effectively. We're not going to know how to use questioning if we just try it every once in a while when <clears throat> our other way of practicing isn't working. It's like so many things in life, it takes a long time to learn how to do it. And this may be even more so because it's a very subtle thing to raise up a question that isn't about an answer but it's really about uh, an expression of interest and in a, and really a, act of devotion, to, a devotion to understanding. So the question is really an expression of this devotion that we're growing, this devotion to understanding things as they are. And I think it takes some time. I, I found just so easily sliding on both sides of being a little greedy with the questions, a little aversive with the questions, bored, but doing it because I think I have to do it. That kind of thing. And then uh, with these sort of strategies too, it's like there's a, a really wholesome element of surprise where the the question comes in, and it and it wakes up the mind, you know, just does what we want it to do. But if we overuse it. It's, it's not going to have that effect. So we have to be careful getting attached to the fact that it does work sometimes. But if we overuse anything, it feels stale. It feels like something's being forced, that there's somebody trying to make something happen with this strategy. So it's really nice when there's a real interest in the moment and a real interest in, like, maybe things are feeling a little stuck or the mind is feeling uh, as if nothing's happening. And then out of that immediacy, that presence with that, comes a question, you know. Is there aversion in the mind or not? Is the mind afraid of something or not? So that, just like a natural question, comes out of the experience. And so, you know, even a question like, does the mind have any questions? <laughs> you know, or what might the mind want to know about this experience? But, but again, it's more like um, we'd like the questioning to come right out of how it is in the moment. But initially, you know, we're remembering, oh, you know, and... Saito Utejaniya's book, he mentioned these questions. I'll pull this one out and use it. And that's okay. You know, we have to experiment. It will be clunky. It will be a little forced. It will have greed and aversion in it. But it might be a lot better than sitting like deer in a headlights. you know, sort of frozen in our experience, like not knowing what to do, uh, knowing that it's not right, knowing that the mind's not learning anything, but not but afraid to do anything because we're afraid of making a mistake. But already the not doing, the not responding creatively to the moment is a so-called mistake because nothing's being learned. So it's okay to try something even if it's not perfect because we'll learn something. This is this engaging part of practice. The So there's two parts. You know, There's the receptive part, which we talk about a lot because generally just in daily life, we tend to be very assertive, controlling, struggling to make things happen. So initially in practice, we usually uh, emphasize the receptive part, just letting things be. But once we get more used to practice, then we have to be just as interested in the assertive part of practice, the investigation, the interest, uh, the mind understanding, the mind learning, as we are about the receptive. And of course, they go hand in hand. You can't learn without letting go and you can't let go without seeing clearly. You know, it's like seeing what needs to be let go of allows for the letting go. And letting go allows you to see clearly what needs to be, needs to be let go of. But there's that, um, you know, natural place where we we generally emphasize letting go. And then we most of us end up in this place where we've let go, we've gotten relatively good at letting go. But then we're in that place like, Now what? And uh, then that's like the birth of more assertive uh, investigation, like some sense that there's something to understand here, Uh, coming from a place of humility and a place of compassion, knowing how easy either right now or how easy it is for me to fall into suffering, to get tight, to be entangled. Uh, The interest comes out of that or the investigation comes out of that. Yeah, and if you didn't take a look at those books, um, they are on of uh, Utejiniya's website. And uh, he does have a lot of, he emphasizes, uh, especially as needed to use questions to keep the mind engaged with what he teaches is a more mindfulness of mind or open attention practice where you're not, generally he's not having people use a particular object of a meditation other thoughts or questions about practice? Yeah. So she can.
1: Uh, in the, my question is, uh, in this guided meditation just now, you talked about a word sought, unfound. I'm not saying the full sentence. Uh-huh. So can you elaborate on that because my experience is, try to seek and it's unfound, you're stuck. So am I understanding right? That is my first question. Second question is not related to the practice. Today, um, ten minutes earlier, I rang the bell, so I'm sorry for all the yogis. <laughs> I, my mind slipped, so I went for 8.12 in place of 8.22.
0: <laughs> I'm sure we all worked with it as practice. Yeah, so the, the quote, this may may not be a perfect uh, perfect uh, remembering of the quote but it's something like what is unsought remains unfound so it really talks about the seed of faith and this assertive side of practice so unless we have some intuitive sense of basic goodness or some intuitive sense of the freedom of the heart it doesn't occur to the mind to look into the present moment to actually investigate like what's in the way of freedom, what's in the way of basic goodness, so we need that sense of aspiration. Joseph Goldstein talks about this um in terms of the just the general way we relate to practice that there are two parts: one part is this you know just returning to the present moment, but another part of practice is having an aspiration or what we would normally call a goal, but that word gets a little bit tied up with greed. So maybe now we have a different word. We call it aspiration. But it's this sense that uh, that there's a, a path that we give ourselves to, but there's a goal. There's a point to the path, which is freedom or basic goodness, releasing that basic goodness or setting that basic goodness free. And that goal, that aspiration works with the path the path is just opening to the present moment let's say but the point of the path really shapes that opening to the present moment and opening to the present moment you know helps the mind understand clarify the aspiration so initially our aspiration may be somewhat abstract or unclear and then as we engage the path it becomes clearer and the same thing you know as we get Clear and clearer about our goal the aspiration of freedom and unbounded love then we get clear about what the path is like how to engage the present moment so we need that and so that's I, that's why i brought up that quote because i think it it reminds us that uh it's important to have a sense of aspiration even if we can't realize it fully even if we don't understand it completely like to all of us unbounded love basic goodness is an ab- abstraction i mean we kind of have experiences we kind of can touch it in little ways in our moments experience but that full blooming of it you know it's it's sort of metaphorical or we kind of get it but we don't really know what it's like but we can use it you know because um, it helps us engage the present moment does that make sense and so it's good, to, at least, you know, if you're a serious practitioner, it's good once a day to take a few moments. It doesn't have to be long a minute, a couple minutes and reflect on your aspiration so that it's that you're clarifying little by little over the years of practice by engaging that idea. Like from your own engagement with the present moment, what does the mind know or intuit about? the end of practice, or the aspiration of practice. And as imperfect as it will be, just say something to yourself about it, you know, in your own mind. Just sort of articulate it or imagine it in some way. And it's okay if it feels a little false or a little made up, because whether we do this consciously, as I'm suggesting, or it's just done unconsciously, we're going to be doing it. We're going to be imagining what this is all about. So we should do it, in the light of day we should be very conscious and to clarify because if it really does sound silly or childlike then that's part of the refining of what our aspiration is yeah thanks for bringing that up that's a important point yes sam
1: so um, so I'm sitting there and I feel very much like I'm inhabiting the present moment and there's <clears throat> so a lot of times with that, you know, you feel a lot of joy. Or it's just that's just what happens sometimes and, and it almost feels like I'm high. And then I get suspect like maybe it should be a little more sober than this. So there's <laughs> there's doubt. So I say, Okay, there's the doubt and there's the doubt and um I say, so what does the the being high feel like? And you can kind of... There's maybe a little bit of anxiety underneath it, and I say, is that greed? And I have no idea.
0: I mean... What happens when you ask the question, though? Is there anxiety behind it? Behind asking the question? I'm not sure what you meant when you said, so there's some doubt, and then you notice the doubt, Uh and then, is it then when you notice there might be some anxiety behind it?
1: Not behind the the doubt, it's behind the, uh, or like I say, I ask myself the question then, what does it feel like to be, to feel like this being really high? Is there any sort of greed or like grasping there? Mm-hmm. And I can feel like a sort of nervousness, but it, it doesn't feel like, so then I ask, my, ask the question, is this greed? Should I let this go? And I don't really know the answer, no, nothing really comes up and it yeah. doesn't seem very clear. I I guess,
0: I don't know what my question is. No, but but what you're sharing with us, it sounds like really good practice because um, you're on the edge of what you know and what you don't know. And then it's just about being patient and uh, knowing how to hang out in the moment, in those kind of moments, without the practice uh, disturbing the moment. So that there's an interest, but the interest isn't distorting the moment at all. And the, like a lot of time, we, we can't expect the moment to reveal itself because it takes some time for the quality of attention, you know, the quality of practice, mindfulness, that balance of interest and relaxation to come really into balance so that it's not distorting anything. It's that pure mirror and then the pure mirror will reflect exactly what is and isn't there. And you may not have an actual answer like, is there greed there? You don't need like, yes, there's you know, the voice of wisdom saying to you, yes, there's greed there or not. The way that we know that we've seen what needs to be seen is that things change. The things that unfold further. When things seem stuck, then that's a chance generally a a sign that we haven't seen everything there is to see there. I mean, when in any moment when the mind really opens and sees clearly, it's like the rug gets pulled out. Things just really open up. And um, the practice, the mind that knows, responds with this beautifully innocent, awe, open, receptive, alert engagement with that thing that has just opened up, with experience that's just opened up. So when it's not like that, then the underlying assumption should be one that there's something here that's not being seen or understood. And then out of that comes humility and patience and uh, and skillful investigation. You know, the skillful ways of looking this way, looking that way. But that more active part, it's very easy for it to, have greed or aversion infused in it and so then we'll have to look at that too like look at how I'm forcing this I really want to know you know I'm tired of this I want this to be over with so part of the investigation is opening to the present moment and part of that opening to the present moment is noticing the mind that's opening to the present moment noticing the qualities of the mind that are open that is opening to the present moment And so a lot of patience there, appreciating kind of being in a new place and uh, and having a lot of patience. Like this will open up. It's just a matter of seeing. And I can't see clearly because I want to. That's not the cause for seeing clearly. Seeing clearly arises when the mind lets go of what's extra. The mind that knows lets go of what's extra. So there becomes more of a pure knowing, more balance. Thanks, Sam, for sharing that. Yeah, Jana.
1: It's what you were saying about uh, mindfulness practice requiring equal parts calm and curiosity or investigation is really clear to me after a few days of retreat practice, like I can, I mean, not like my mind comes perfectly into balance, but I start seeing like, oh, too much calm, needs some more curiosity or whatever. Which is so great, and I'm so grateful for that, but then maybe it's the greedy part of my mind, or the, I don't know if it's greed or aversion, that looks at my daily practice in life, and it's just like, oh my god, what's the point? My mind is so out of balance. And in my practice at home, like, you know, I'm just trying to get, like, the tiniest bit of calm or something. (laughs) So I feel really frustrated.
0: But, you know, the wisdom that we develop (laughs) in not being uh, thrown about by the different forces in our daily life, that is such deep wisdom. I mean, it's relatively easy to be interested in this balance in this relatively simple environment. But then we've got all these relationships and all of our social programming gets triggered, is on the surface, and uh, you know all the we, we tie into all the forces of greed and competitiveness. That's just part of our culture, and all of that comparing energy. So, to whatever degree we can play in that world and be interested in maintaining balance means that these very huge waves are coming at us all the time, from within, from without, and to whatever degree we cannot be so confused by them not take them so personally that's really profound wisdom practice it's just a lot messier because the forces are bigger the triggers are bigger the mind's going to get pushed around a lot more but you know when our mind does get pushed around in a lot of we you know really defensive or we're really angry or we're really lustful or greedy just that capacity to have a little space around that it's like that's tremendous practice, as opposed to just completely lost in the greed or lost in the rage. So it looks different being on retreat versus being at home. It looks so much messier. There is more unskillfulness. But the insights, you can't be clear that the insights are fewer or less important in daily life practice. I don't think that's necessarily true. It's just more painful because you're, you're seeing these big swings, you're further away from calm and wholesome states. But to the degree that wisdom is still active to some degree, you're learning from all that suffering, all that, all those swings. So that's the question we have to ask ourselves. Is there some wisdom that's understanding, noticing the mind being thrown about in the ways that it's thrown about and learning the lessons it needs to learn, like attachment hurts, not attachment is good.
1: Um, yeah um, I've been noticing a lot of greed in my meditation like I'll sit down and I'll want something to happen and I'll get upset when that doesn't happen and then, then I notice the greed like oh I'm really trying to make something happen here but then I have like either greed or aversion towards the greed and aversion and then it's just when I look at it I get in this really big like mental cyclone like trying to make the greed go away and being aversive to the
0: greed so I don't know how to how to deal with that yeah but again just so you know this is what I would call really good practice just what you described because we have to see over and over and over again that greed always leads to suffering and that's a that imprint has to go really deep or that knowledge has to go really deep and it it literally begins to burn out the roots of being greedy. And you can support it a little bit. I mean, mostly, Caleb, you just have to keep seeing that greed doesn't work. And you have to see the momentum, like how the mind doesn't know any other strategy, so then it gets greedy about not being greedy, like you said. Um, And that frustration, as long as it doesn't lead to helplessness, that frustration is good because it it almost like creates a panic or uh, that some vega is the poly word. (laughs) Spiritual urgency. (laughs) It creates a spiritual urgency like, I didn't realize how trapped, how obsessed, how um, cornered my mind is in its patterns. Because the biggest danger, our biggest enemy, enemy is complacency just sort of going along with the flow and not thinking there's anything to practice or any practice to develop. So when we get that fear, like, oh my God, this is crazy. I mean, I don't know anybody who's done this practice for a little time that hasn't had some of those moments where the mind says, oh my God, this is crazy. This is really insane. Speaking directly to the mind as in, in the context of seeing how the mind behaves. This is really crazy. And either we just want to eat ice cream or go watch TV. (laughs) But if we have enough wisdom in that moment, we realize that's just more of the same. You know, distraction, craving distraction to get out of this painful situation is just more of the same. If we don't do that, then this wholesome spiritual urgency arises. And then we, we ask the question, as the Buddha says in one of his talks, is there anybody who knows anything about this kind of suffering? And so we go in search of good instruction that we can then bring to our practice or bring to our mind. And to the degree we already have the instructions, then we pull them out and we apply them. And so you might ask the question, um, is there another way besides being greedy in this moment? What, and ask it in an open-ended way, what would be the other way to relate in this moment? What would non-greed look like in this moment? So a real curiosity coming out of this, because spiritual urgency isn't a judgment, it's compassion. You know, it's like, what did Sarah Palin, the Mama Grizzly, <laughs> you know, that sort of, don't mess with my cub. <laughs> and it's the same, same sort of thing that, that uh, like I'm willing to try anything. Because I, I don't want to keep continuing. <laughs> yeah, we do. I mean, we need a lot of patience because uh, we all get swept along, and there's a we're trailing a, we're pulling along this this very deep pattern to get greedy, to be aversive, to react. But we should begin to appreciate that we see that it's not skillful. like that see that as a real turning point. Um, like finding the path one is just being lost in the woods and then when we find a path that seems to go somewhere you know we're really grateful I don't know if anybody's been lost in the woods I've been lost in the woods (laughs) and it's really nice when you find a path (laughs) time for one more question if there is anything else yeah Jim
1: I've been doing a lot of uh, healing past wounds, and uh, sending a lot of meta to uh, to myself. Um, and the more I did it, uh, the more it seemed like I was sending it to myself in the past. <clears throat> and then I was almost visualizing being in the presence of my past self. I don't know if this was. Uh, I mean, it's it seemed work very well, but I don't know if you would consider that skillful means as opposed to trying to deal with these wounds
0: as they exist in the present. Well, I'm guessing you probably did deal with it in the present. You know, there's a lot of room for creativity, and the only thing to look at, was there a feeling of movement, like a wholesome qualities of love moving? Oh, yes. Yeah, then that's, that's all you need to look at, because the images that you bring, that you use to support that movement. That movement, of course, is happening in the present moment, right? So, and then you can, at some point, like if you're really relying on that image of yourself in the past, you can then skillfully, if if you feel it's useful, and it might be because it might really help you uh, empower the sense of goodness here in the present moment by noticing that that flow of love is right here in the heart now. Because part of what we're, like in that healing, that work that you're describing, part of what we're doing is we're discovering, I mean, we don't normally talk in these terms, but something to be proud of, something to respect, something to be grateful for, something that's inherently good here and now. Because it overcomes... A very strong self-centered notion that I'm not good, that I'm no good, that I've been bad, or whatever. So a lot of us have these emotional wounds, maybe all of us, probably all of us. And so we use whatever, basically whatever works, to get that movement of love moving, that natural movement of love, and then we want to recognize that that's here and now. This is the heart here and now. So that would be the only thing to add to it, but uh, definitely to use images of ourselves in the past or memories. Anything in the service of that free movement of compassion or love or joy. But then the, the key with those Brahma-viharas, those wholesome emotions, is that we notice them here in the heart. So that, uh, so that, that changes our view of what the heart is like this desolate place or whatever kind of ideas we might have about it. It You'll come. So, um, who's ever ringing the bell, why don't we come back at 10 after 11 for a 50-minute sit. And actually, I think we end a little bit before 11. Kim, do you have the schedule with you right there? Do you have that date? What time do we come back for the closing circle? So so why don't we end the sit at 5 to 11, so there's time for people to use the bathroom, and then we'll start the circle at 11. And let's end the sit, uh, end the walking period rather, at 10 after, so people have 30 minutes to walk, last walking period. Come back, we'll have a 45-minute sit, and then the closing circle. And now people who have interviews, if you just help me stay on schedule, that would be nice, so that we can all join the closing circle starting at 11 o'clock in this room. Thanks, everyone, for your questions. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.